Well, welcome. If you haven't already been welcomed here in person, outside at our outside venue or online for those that are tuning in, welcome to Nova. We are glad to be worshiping together uh, this amazing God who loves us, as we also just sang about as well. Um, our journey over these past few weeks has brought us to the end of the book of 1 John in our study, and it's an awesome time uh, together always diving into God's Word, learning what it says, thinking about what it means, working through how it applies to our lives, both as individual followers of Jesus, but also as a member of God's larger church together. And our, our journey has brought us to 1 John chapter 5. You can turn there in your Bibles or on your electronic devices and kind of bookmark that there. And today we're going to work through the entire chapter as we close out this series on 1 John. But we're going to do so in three different sections. What I figure I would call the beginning, the middle, and the end. I know, pretty clever, right? Um, <laughs> but take a look with me at the beginning portion of 1 John chapter 5, and we'll jump right in with our first passage from today. 1 John 5, sorry, verses 1 through 5. And I'll read those for us. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. God's words for us today in this first part. And these first few, few verses, excuse me, of 1 John chapter 5, they, they actually continue the thoughts from the previous section in the letter back in chapter 4. And at the same time, they provide this transition for what John's going to talk about in the next part of chapter 5, which we'll get to in just a couple minutes, as he's wrapping up this letter that he's written. And here in these first few verses, John is still talking about love. It's a huge theme for him throughout this entire book, actually. And he says in verse 2, this is how we know that we love. And again in verse 3, in fact, this is love for God. And how is this known, the this that John is talking about, according to these verses from John? By keeping God's commands. That is how we know and how we show that we love God, by keeping his commands. If you remember, when Jesus himself was approached and asked, what is the greatest commandment? He boiled it down, in my Pastor Adam paraphrase, to loving God and loving others. And we read in Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40, this. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. I was thinking about this. Why? I think it's because just having the right belief in our heads isn't quite enough. We do have to have the right beliefs about God, yes and absolutely. But we also have to have holy living, both before God and before others, our fellow mankind. And so we have right belief you might say that's the doctrinal mark. 
We have right behavior. That is the ethical, or maybe some would say the social mark. And we have right love. That's the moral mark. And these three things, they all work together. They join together in the lives of those of us that are following Jesus. And true Christianity always comes back to Jesus. Who he is. What do you believe about him? And what are you doing with his commands? This is the new nature that we are given in Jesus Christ. And I love how one commentator writes about this. I I thought it'd be better just to actually read it. It's just a couple of paragraphs. Jesus did not come to die on a bloody cross to make us kinder and nicer persons. He came to dramatically, personally, radically, and eternally transform us and make us new people. It is by the new birth that he accomplishes this glorious work. Doctrinal excellence, a bold faith, evangelistic fervor, and a generous hand are all good things. However, they are not what matters most to God. The one thing that he desires more than anything else is that we love him. Without love for God, even the good things we do have no value in his eyes. And he continues, he wants to change your heart so that you might delight in loving the Father and the family of God. He wants to inflame you with passion for his glory so that you desire to keep his commands. He wants to fill you with faith so that you overcome the obstacles and temptations the world throws at you. This is what the Son of God wants for you. He wants you to bear in your life and in your soul the birthmarks that you are a child of God. That's amazing. And this is Jesus. This is who Jesus is, what he's about, what he wants for us. And John continues his thoughts about our Lord and Savior in the next section of his letter, what we're calling the middle. 1 John chapter 5, verses 6 through 12. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are in agreement. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God, which he has given about his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life, Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. Again, 1 John 5, verses 6 through 12. And this passage is chock full of interesting ideas and imagery, and especially about testimony. My favorite band these days is a band called Need to Breathe. Maybe you've heard of them, maybe you haven't. Awesome songwriters, great music. Not all worship songs, but just great stuff. A couple years back, there was a song on one of their albums. Do we still call them albums? (laughs) The song was called Testify. And the lyrics of the chorus of that song are this. They write and sing, give me your heart, give me your song, sing it with all your might. Come to the fountain and you can be satisfied. There is a peace, there is a love, 
you can get lost inside. Come to the fountain and let me hear you testify. Here in this section of chapter 5, John is talking about testimony, testifying, giving testimony. And he's referencing different witnesses that testify to Jesus. And he wants his readers to know who Jesus is. I mean, really know who Jesus is. These witnesses all have different perspectives, as most witnesses do, but they all testify to the fact that Jesus is the Son of God who gives the gift of eternal life to everybody who trusts in Him. And John makes his argument in different ways, but he draws attention to the career of Jesus, and he, he starts with his baptism, and he talks about his crucifixion, and these are the first two witnesses, you might say. The baptism of Jesus is, is very important because it's, it's actually found in all four of the Gospels, giving the stories about Jesus. And in Jesus' baptism, when you read about it, a couple of things get revealed. We see the Holy Spirit descending on him, it says, like a dove, and anointing him. We hear the voice of the Father speaking out loud, actually, saying, this is my son. Jesus was not a mere man. He was the son of God, is the son of God. I shouldn't have said was. <laughs> is the Son of God. In 1 John 1.29, we're told He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's a quick witness description of the witness of His baptism. And John also talks about the crucifixion as witness. And this is represented by the word blood, which appears three times in verses 6 through 8. The work of our Savior was initiated at His baptism. We, we even kind of talk about how that's when Jesus' ministry began. And it was finished by his death on the cross. Jesus himself said from the cross, it is finished. John 19, verse 30. When Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world, God again provided significant witnesses concerning this event. If we go back through that story, there was a darkness that fell over the land from noon until three o'clock. The curtain of the sanctuary, that holy of holies, was torn in two from top to bottom. There was an earthquake. And these events that surrounded Jesus on the cross even led a Roman centurion to exclaim, surely this man was the Son of God. And we read about these things in Matthew 27 and in Mark chapter 15. Jesus was not somebody who was just adopted at his baptism and then abandoned and left on the cross by God. He was and is the Son of God who came to die as the sacrifice for our sins. His death was not an accident. It was not an act of martyrdom. It was a divine saving substitution for sinners with redeeming value and worth planned by God. So we have his baptism. We have his crucifixion. And the witnesses continue as the other persons of the Trinity actually come in to give their testimony, John talks about. The Holy Spirit and God the Father are the next two witnesses. Now, in our everyday life, we tend to accept the testimony of people, generally speaking, if they're credible. In the Jewish context, the testimony of two or three witnesses was necessary and sufficient to confirm something is true. You can read about that in Deuteronomy, in the, those older uh, Hebrew laws. And if that is so, if we accept the testimony of people, and we accept the testimony of a couple of witnesses, how much more should we believe God himself, right? 
The testimony of God is greater than the testimony of any person. It's more reliable. It's more trustworthy. It comes from God himself, who scripture tells us cannot lie. Hebrews 6, verse 18. I love how one author I came across puts this. John is saying that the abiding testimony of Jesus' baptism, his crucifixion, and that of the Holy Spirit is God's historical witness about Jesus. Never has God given such a witness concerning anyone else, not in all of history. God's witness concerning his son is singular and unique. Amazing, right? This is what God is saying about his son that John is talking about. Now, why all this talk about witnesses? I think it's because the ideas that the witnesses are getting at are important, and they all build on each other. And John goes on to say here that you do not have to hope that you have eternal life or even just think that you have eternal life. He says that you can know that you have eternal life. When you know you have the Son of God, Jesus Christ, as your Savior. There are many things that God wants us to know. But this one brings us to the crux of the matter, at least here in John's letter. In 1 John chapter 5. And John continues as he closes out this letter in the part that we're calling the end, verses 13 through 21. He continues, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I am not saying that you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. We know that we are children of God, and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We also know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true by being in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Again, God's words for us today. Have you ever been in a situation where you save the best for last? I think we all do it in a lot of different ways. Maybe it's your favorite part of a meal that you save for the end of the meal, right? Or, or maybe it's dessert that <laughs> comes after the meal. <laughs> um, we all have different ways that we save the best for last. It happens in other areas of life also. Think about it. Books and movies usually kind of build up to something towards the end. That's the last. When we tell stories, we're usually also building up to something. There's a point we're getting at. When we write a letter or an email to somebody, we may start more casually with a greeting, but we're getting to something later, usually towards the end. And that most important thing is at the end. I think this happens in Scripture also. 
And I think John is employing this idea here in this particular letter. Almost as if he's saying, now, let's get to it. (laughs) He says Christians can rest in the truths that we belong to God, that he is a God who answers prayer, that we have spiritual victory, and that Jesus Christ is the true and only source of eternal life. Jesus himself says this in John 10, verses 28 and 29. He says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. What a powerful thing and a powerful image. Jesus says, I hold you in my hand. And my Father holds this in his hand. And nobody's going to get you out of that. That's amazing. And I hope you take Jesus at his own word and know that you belong to him. We can also know that God answers prayer. We don't have time for a full treatise on prayer itself, but I was thinking about this this last week, just a few days ago, actually. And I do want to say a couple things about this. I am a believer in the idea that God answers every prayer that we ever pray. Every single prayer one it's just that sometimes we don't like the answer sometimes the answer is no sometimes the answer is not now sometimes the answer is not in that way sometimes the answer is wait it was January of 2011 I got the call that my mom was back in the hospital she had been battling lung cancer over the past few years, on and off. And when it came back, we prayed for healing. We prayed for no more pain. We prayed for no more surgeries. We prayed for wholeness. We prayed for my mom to have no more fear when she had difficulty breathing. Or just when she had to wait for test results. Or when she had to just wonder and wonder about what's coming next. About six weeks later, I was at her side with my dad as she took her last breaths this side of heaven. That was a while ago. And it wasn't until after she died that I realized something. God answered every single one of those prayers I listed off a few seconds ago. I know the prayers were answered, even though they were not answered in the way that I wanted them to be answered. But my mom is healed. She has no more pain, no more surgeries. She is whole. She has no more fear. She doesn't have to wonder anymore. And she has no more cancer. And she is with her Savior. And when I really think about it, she wouldn't want to leave there to be anywhere else. (laughs) We can know that we belong to God. We can know that he answers prayer. John says we can also know spiritual victory. For the final time in this letter, John addresses the idea of the new birth again. He wants us to be sure that we have been born again. And all throughout this letter, there's a number of different evidences of this new birth. I do want to note here that in these evidences, John's not, I'm sorry, John is affirming the purity of our lives. He's not trying to 
talk about perfection. He's talking about purity. It's not that you no longer sing. sin. He covers that way back in chapter 1 at the beginning. Anyone who claims to be without sin, he says, is a liar. It's more that when you do sin, you recognize it. There's something in you that recognizes it and knows, I need to get away from that. Why? Because I belong to God. And remember, that's also one of these things in his list here of things that you can know that we belong to God, that he answers prayer. We can have this spiritual victory. John also wants us to know what is true. And not surprisingly, right here as he's wrapping up his letter, he's writing very similar to the way he began. He's talking about Jesus. He affirms again that Jesus has come. He affirms that it's Jesus who gives us understanding so that we may know him who is true, he says. The first half of verse 20, I'll read it again. We also know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. There are so many truths that we can know. A survey of this five-chapter letter reveals at least the following things we can know. They're basically bullet points with verse references. I put this entire list in your notes if you are looking and want to follow along. But we can know that we know God, chapter 2, verse 3 and 13. We can know that we are in God, chapter 2, verse 5. These are all references to 1 John. We can know the truth, 2.21. We can know that Jesus is righteous, 2.29. We can know that we will be like Jesus, 3, verse 2. We can know that Jesus came to take away sins, 3, verse 5. We can know that Jesus is sinless, also verse 5 in chapter 3. We can know that we have passed out of death into life, 3.14. We can know love, 3.16. We can know that God abides in us, 3.24. We can know the Spirit of God, chapter 4, verse 2. We can know the Spirit of truth, chapter 4, verse 6. We can know that we love God's children. Now we're in chapter 5 and verse 2. We can know that we have eternal life, verse 13. We can know that God answers prayer, verse 15. We can know that we will not practice sin, verse 18. We can know that we belong to God, verse 19. We can know that the Son of God has come, verse 20. We can know that the Son of God has given us understanding and we can know Him who is true. That's a good list. I took this from a resource that I found. That's not my list, but that's a good list. It is clear from this book of 1 John that the child of God can know and be certain of a lot of things. This section of chapter 5 that I called the end actually begins with the idea of eternal life. We can know that we have eternal life he says in verse 13. And I think the entire letter of 1 John has been building up to this verse. And this is important. I'd say no, this is actually crucial because Christianity is not an I hope so or an I think so faith. It's an I know so faith. Because what's been revealed in the Bible was given to us by God, a God who speaks and a God who speaks only in truth. So have we saved the best for last? 
I think John did, and with good reason. It's as if he's saying, let's get to it. And that can mean a couple of different things. Let's get to it. It could mean, here's what I want you to know, right? Hear it, learn it, understand it, know it, rest in it. He writes that you may know that you have eternal life. Take it all in. Bask in the amazement and the glory of your salvation because it's an amazing and glorious thing. It could mean that. But let's get to it also could mean something a little different. Something more like, what are you going to do with this? This is more of an action-oriented way of thinking about, hey, let's get to it, right? There's something to do with this. And that action, it might first be just, are you really going to let this sink in and make that journey from your head down into your heart and then out into your life? There was a youth leader at our church when I was in high school uh, many years ago. I won't say how many years ago. Uh, And also in college, he was around working with the students all those years, me and a bunch of friends. And he would ask us, and I remember this, Larry would ask us, if you really believe this book, the Bible, if you really believe this book, guys, how would your life be different? And that was a great challenge at that age in my life, but I'm not even sure I fully understood what he was asking back then, really. John says that he wrote this so that we may know that we have eternal life. This knowing that he is talking about, it has to be more than just facts and head knowledge. It's something that moves into experience and becomes an experiential knowledge. It's something that you end up knowing to your core. Earlier this year, my wife and I celebrated our 20th anniversary, 20 years of marriage. I remember back when we were dating and one of my other friends got engaged, one of my best friends. They were married about a year before us. But I remember talking with him about when he decided to ask her to marry him. And and as you've heard, when someone's trying to figure out whether this person is the one, as we call it, um, the general answer is simply, a lot of times people say, it's, it's, you just know, (laughs) right? It's one of those answers. But I was intrigued, and this is one of my best friends and closest friends. And so I asked him at a time when we had a good conversation, just the two of us. I said, how did you know? And I, I clarified, and I actually remember saying this. I said, I said, come on, man, this is me. <laughs> Don't just tell me I just know. Tell me how you actually know. And so we talked about that for a bit, because I was trying to figure out my own situation. Do I ask Chantel to marry me? Not just do I love her, but is she the one? Those are different questions. And do you know what his answer was? After a good length conversation, and we talked about a lot of things, to really boil it down, his answer was basically, Adam, I just know. (laughs) But in my own journey, it wasn't long after that that I would also just know. But that particular knowing changed everything about my life moving forward. That's the kind of knowing that we're talking about, knowing to our core. There's experience and there's a depth of knowledge for sure, but here John adds even more to this idea of knowing 
with that entire list, he builds to this idea and he wants everybody to know that they have eternal life in Jesus. So there's some witnesses and there's testimony. There's those things in the world itself. We have the Holy Spirit, not necessarily in the world, but also in you. And we have God himself, the witnesses that are talked about. Pretty powerful on his own, of course. And you put all this together and it builds and you can actually and practically and experientially know that you have eternal life. And I'll close today in just a minute, but I'll close by asking that same question that I mentioned. If you truly believe that idea that you have eternal life, that's what I'm getting at. If you truly believe that, how might your life be different? I've experienced that knowing my salvation, not just knowing about my salvation, but knowing my salvation. It's a really amazingly freeing thing. I don't even know if that's proper English, what I just said. Uh, Galatians 5 verse 1, I love the book of Galatians, and this is an awesome verse, but Galatians 5 1 tells us that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Do you know why you've been set free? Because he wants you to be free. It's for freedom that he has set you free. And of course, it goes on to talk about some other things and responsibilities that we have. Jesus himself says in John chapter 10, I believe it's in verse 10, that I have come to give you life and to give you life, depending on your translation, either to the full or more abundantly, it says. Jesus says, I want you to be free. I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. And I'm a huge believer in the fact that that eternal life doesn't start later when we get to heaven. It starts right here, right now. And if you've been a Christian for a while, that's already been happening for however long you've been a believer. And that's what Jesus wants for you. So I challenge you to really think about knowing that you have eternal life. And continue to work through and work out what that eternal life is and what that means. And because, yes, that's going to be a little bit different for each one of us. But if you really believe that, how might your life be a little different? Okay? Now, it's on you. Let's get to it. Amen? Amen.